and Apex Lab Podcast. Hey there, welcome to the Level Up Engineering Podcast, where we speak to the most experienced technology leaders from around the world. So stay with us to learn actionable management insights to take your engineering team to the next level. This show is powered by Apex Lab, a team of experts in end-to-end digital product development. ApexLab.io Hello there. I am Karolina Tuot, and this is the Level Up Engineering Podcast. I interview with very accomplished technology leaders every other week. And this episode is sponsored by your new sponsor, Apex Lab. And we are also today going to have a really awesome guest talking about how enterprises should develop AI and what they should expect from developing AI within their enterprise. So please stay with us and listen to my conversation with Varun Mohan, who is co-founder and CEO of Codium and ExoFunction. Welcome, Varun. Hi, thanks a lot for having me. Before we get into today's topic, um, you have quite the experience uh, from a lot of companies. And as far as I know, you are also MIT educated. So before we get into what we're going to talk about today, could you share a bit with the audience about yourself, what we should know about you and um, what your hobbies are or your passions? I could talk about professional stuff, but in terms of hobbies and passions, just to start off, I'm an avid biker, biker and cyclist. So I ride a lot of hills. Um, I currently live in the Bay Area, so I'm surrounded by mountains. So it's a perfect spot to just bike in, in my free time. Um, I haven't had a lot of time recently, but whenever I get any any chances, any any days off, I'll, I'll usually go uh, climb a hill. Yeah, a little bit about me personally. Um, as you mentioned, graduated from MIT. But immediately after graduating from MIT in 2017, I joined a company called Neuro, uh, which is an autonomous vehicle company. And there worked on early deep learning infrastructure software and ended up becoming a, a senior manager at the company, uh, building out large scale deep learning infrastructure. And that's sort of where I got a front seat at looking at the power of deep learning and all these other pieces of AI technology and what value it would bring to the rest of the enterprise and just consumers in general. Um, from there, started a company called ExaFunction, uh, and I'm happy to go into more detail. But last year, ExaFunction as a company built out a product called Codium, which is, I guess, what we're currently now focusing on. Um, originally, when we when we started ExaFunction, we started out as a product that would virtualize GPU computations. So what that means is, if you have large scale deep learning computations, it would make it so that the GPU was much better utilized for these computations. One of the common things people talk about right now is how expensive GPUs are. And that was not only a problem back, you know, let's say two years ago, but not only that there was a scarcity of GPUs too. So that made it doubly important that for these AI workloads, you were able to get make good use of the hardware. And from there, we realized that generative AI basically last year was going to be really, really large and impactful. And rather than just be an infrastructure provider, we decided to go out and actually build a generative AI code assistant tool using our own infrastructure as the baseline, um, which which became Codium. Thank you for sharing that with us. Now that we have um, a little bit of um, a background story, um, let's share what today's topic is with our audience. We are going to talk about the considerations of uh, safely deploying AI in the enterprise, which I think is something that a lot of people are interested in. So let's jump right in. And, um, and uh, what do you think 
the motivations should be for people when deploying AI? Um, how, how should they decide if they should really deploy AI in their enterprise? Yeah, I think one of the things that probably is of like, I'm just going to call it out. ChatGPT has changed a lot of the way enterprises think about, about consuming AI, right? Uh, a lot of companies believe that, hey, we need AI in a lot of ways to up-level our business. Um, one of the things to really consider uh, beyond just security is there are lots of unique features of, of integrating artificial intelligence into any applications. And I like to think about sort of three distinct pieces uh, here. And the, the sort of three pieces are, first, what is the quality of the solution? And the reason why quality is obviously very important is um, like these, these models hallucinate very, very easily. Uh, one of the reasons why they hallucinate so well is, you know, these models basically take what they've seen at train time when they were trained and try to mimic that at inference time. And if you look at the training data, if it was a corpus of a bunch of data on the web, everyone says things come very confidently. Like the entire training set is a bunch of people saying, I believe this to be true or this is true. No one ever doubts themselves on the Internet. Um, so these models will confidently spew out information that is factually inaccurate. Um, and maybe this is fine for some subset of applications internally, but let's say you're now exposing an application to your own end customer and you know, you're, asking, you're asking them to get information about your own product. You don't want it to hallucinate false information about your product, right? Um, so that's like one key piece to maybe think about. The second key piece is common to any system that uh, an engineering team would need to worry about. It's the latency of the underlying application. Users are very finicky. If the time it takes to get a response is quite long, people are going to be turned off by the product unless the quality is very, very high, right? That's like the key piece. And then depending on the kind of application, like there have been a lot of applications that have came out that have completely sort of taken the world by storm. One of the obvious ones are applications like Midjourney, um, you know, that, that actually generate art. The other key piece is correctability. Let's say I, I do see that the, the result is incorrect and I recognize that. How easily can I correct the output? Because the fact of the matter is if I can't correct the output very easily, then it's, it's a useless tool in some sense. So these are the three key pieces outside of obviously security and you know, all these other concerns that large enterprises have always had. Those are the three pieces that I think most tools need to think about basically and companies need to think about when integrating AI. Could you share a little bit about privacy? Because when, when I think about enterprise, I think about large companies who are very keen on, let's say, protecting data. Sometimes it's, you know, in the news, you say that they don't necessarily protect the data, but for the purposes of our conversation, um, how, can they, how can they keep the data private when employing AI within their enterprise? Yeah. I think uh, one of the key things, so this is, you know, there's there's a lot of kind of conflicting information here. Uh, one very key piece of information that I, that I find a little fascinating is Google actually told its own employees not to put private data into BARD because of concerns of, hey, we might actually use this private data to actually, you know, in some sense, feed it into the model itself. So I think it, there is valid concern of like, hey, you know, do you want to be shoveling data or your own private data into a public model. And unless you have like very strict guarantees and you also believe what's happening, most large enterprises, unless unless you kind of twist their arm, are not going to want to send their own private IP outside of the company. And this has always been the case. You know, we're in the code space right now. 
And most companies that even you know host their code host code internally. They don't host code on the cloud on some other person's servers. They host code on their own servers. Um, so obviously there are many ways to mitigate this, right? One way to mitigate this is uh, is actually self-host your own models. Like one of the key things or innovations that's come out recently is not only is ChatGPT large, but companies like Meta, uh, like you know, sort of other institutions are coming out with fairly powerful open models that are competing with the models that OpenAI sort of has. But maybe the key thing that these models have that are that enable companies to actually self-host, even though the base quality of the OpenAI models is higher, these models, since they're open, actually give companies the ability to very openly fine-tune on all their private data, which is a big transition that's happening. So enterprises not only care about security, which means self-hosting is obviously something that if it's feasible for them to do cost-effectively, they will try to do. But also on top of that, if the model is open, it makes it significantly easier to fine tune the model, right? And what that means is they can take all the private data that they have and make the model kind of semantically understand that private data, uh, which is a which is a massive win internally for them. So is that something like um, with with open software, like like open source software, anybody can access the data? Is that how I should picture it? Yeah, the way to think about open source software for models, what that means is you have access to the weights of the model. If you think of a mm-hmm. neural network as just a bunch of weights, right. right? you have access to the underlying weights. Whereas when you're using something like an open AI, that's just going somewhere in the cloud and they have access to a model, but they have refused to share how the model actually looks internally. right? But then the benefit of having access to the weights is what you can do is you can further customize the model for your own application. You can imagine that these models were trained on on like trillions of lines of of English or or other other languages, right? But those languages that they've been trained on or that data that they've been trained on is public data. It has nothing to do with the private data within your own company. But companies care about how does this model benefit me the most, not how well can this model cite well-known facts, right? That's not that's not very valuable to a company. They can use Google. So I think the the key thing that having an open model lets companies be able to do is transparently take the weights and modify it and fine tune it for their own underlying application. And then they can deploy that entirely on their own servers. So then this sort of gets around the problem of them needing to send data outside of the company. And I think we're seeing more and more companies being willing to do that. One of the crazy things to kind of point out, and, you know, listeners might actually know this is NVIDIA's stock has kind of, you know, ripped in some sense, like NVIDIA's stock has increased a ton. And part of the reason for that is not only there's demand to train these models, but across every company, there's demand to somehow leverage generative AI and maybe not even train these models, but run applications themselves. They see this as a large enough opportunity that can benefit their business, that they're willing to run the application entirely internally, if that makes sense. If we think about uh, AI being deployed in any enterprise, you have already mentioned a couple things that these companies should do if um, if they want to do it safely, like hosting it on their own servers. Um, what are some things that they should be monitoring? You know, like we are told that yeah. when um, ChatGPT hallucinates, you should always look over the text that it's giving you. What are some things that these companies should should watch out for? I think uh, maybe I can talk a little bit about our application just to talk about what we've done here. So we have a product called Codium, and it's it's one of the world's largest AI code assistants now. We have hundreds of thousands of users that use the individual product, 
And for enterprises, we do what I basically said, which is enable companies to self-host the product and tune the model or tune our system on all their private data or private repositories and private code so that there's no process of data leakage. But here's the key thing that we have done to improve the system and improve it in a lot of ways in the hallucination perspective. We take a very key approach of when deploying the system to our individual users, we take the approach of we're trying to learn, is the product getting better and better? And there are weak signals of this, right? For instance, our product has AI code completion. What that means is as you're writing code, it will generate larger and larger swaths of code, and the user can either accept or reject this, right? And you can imagine one weak signal or a signal at all of like, is the system getting better? Is Are people actually accepting the code that we're generating? If we are constantly hallucinating and writing incorrect code, people are not going to be accepting the code. And we actually go one step further and we check if they accept the code. We look after to see if they've heavily modified the code as well. So this actually gets to the point that I was bringing up, which is the quality is good and the correctability was low in that they didn't actually end up going and changing the entire suggestion that they ended up accepting. Actually, the same thing is true for another application that we sort of have internally, which is a chat application, which I think people that are building their own internal generative AI apps are going to be doing as well, which is our chat application actually cites sources within the code base. So there's a retrieval component where it cites internal data within the code base. And the user can either copy the code or they can interact positively with the code. And we monitor that to see like, as we improve the software, are people copying the code and are people more excited by using the product with time? So I think this is like just the same as any other software engineering problem of if you have a product and you release it, are people interacting with it positively? Do they have negative feedback? And if you build those into your product, that's a key way for you to, I guess, constantly improve over time. Um, so nothing really new there, but but yeah. To me, really brings a point home about not letting AI just go free without any sort of control. It's basically making AI work together with uh, your developers and uh, actually humans making sure that whatever the AI is spitting out or whatever it's giving you is actually valuable and useful. Do I see that correctly? No, that's that's actually exactly right. We we don't believe that the future in the next like, you know, five, 10 years is going to be AI getting rid of jobs entirely in, in different professions. Um, I think if you look at the history of what tools have done and tools that have like automated a ton, it's just made the people in those professions even more leveraged. So if I if I was to maybe like rephrase this, like, you know, 30, 40 years ago, people were writing assembly, right? To program their machines, they were writing assembly, like raw instructions for the computer to execute. And then after that, we got higher level programming languages. And that caused more software to get written, but not only more software to get written, but more people to join the software engineering field. And I think with time, what I sort of see happening is there's just the same impact is going to happen in a lot of places where it's just that everyone who's participating in the field will just be even more leveraged and have even more output. But once again, the key thing is to design these AI systems to have a sense of being able to have guardrails in place. People can actually validate the results that these AI systems actually output. And that actually actually is very key to the management philosophy we have inside the company of how to build iterative products, actually, uh, because a lot of us at the company, and, and me in particular, we've worked in other hard tech fields like autonomous vehicles, AR, VR, where the technology is like five or 10 years out, or it, it could be here now, but 
it requires a lot of work for it to uh, for it to immediately work right now. Um, maybe maybe just to level set something and put something into perspective. Over the last six years, GPUs have actually gone 50 times more efficient. So in that period of time, there's been rapid innovation. But imagine five years ago, building the same applications as it is today is a lot harder. So we take the approach of these AI systems are going to improve with time, but it doesn't make sense today to build an AI application that entirely eliminates an entire developer. Like we would never go and try to do that because we think we're quite far out from doing that, actually. I think um, it brings up a lot of philosophical questions about, you know, whether or not um, it's useful to have people around or or we are just um, going into our own end. But to stay with the topic, what are some of the typical mistakes that you have seen companies make when uh, thinking about deploying AI within their enterprise or when doing so? Yeah, I think I think maybe the 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 probably the very simple mistake we've seen when people deploy kind of AI based products is what you what you actually just outlined, which is assuming these systems are are infinitely powerful, right? And that means they can entirely automate a role. Um, and and the problem is like they have because of things like hallucinations and all these other things, they're unable to perform probably large end to end tasks uh, without any guidance at all. But on the other hand, you can make it so that they 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 actually can do large end-to-end tasks if along the way of doing the task, there is like humans monitoring and able to course correct the system, right? And I like to point an example to what we're building, which is kind of the autocomplete and chat aspect with some of these features is in the end, the AI is actually generating a lot of the code, but the human is definitely involved in correcting it to kind of give guidance of like, here's what I want to do. And that's important, right? Because the the one thing that these AI systems kind of runs uh, into issues of is context, right? Your company and internal business has so much internal context, right. right? Think about all the places you get data from. You have coffee side chats with some people and you learn some new information. These systems have no idea about this context and intent. So they need guiding forces until, you know, they know everything uh, to perform an end-to-end task. So I think the biggest thing is when we see examples, and I don't know if, if folks go on Twitter where people are like, hey, the AI is able to do this entire operation, which is you know drive a web browser and do all this other stuff. In the end, these systems aren't very robust and they don't end up being like products that you can actually ship inside a company. Right, right. I was going to say my understanding is that when it comes to AI, it's, for example, ChatGPT, it's a language model, right? So it it really has no context about what out there is in the real world, in case we are assuming that there is a real world. So they they don't really know that they are hallucinating and they don't know when they are actually, you know, talking about facts because what they do is know how old other people have interacted with whom their data has been trained. Is that correct? That's right. I think that's that's roughly right. And, and it's honestly very indicative by the fact that these models by themselves like cannot even do basic multiplication. They cannot do things like if I'm saying 37 times you know, 73, a lot of these models are just going to get it wrong. Um, but that being said, you know, there's good, really good work that OpenAI has done that is kind of interesting, which is ChatGPT now has this thing called a code interpreter. 
What that means is for some set of users, what that means is if it believes it needs to do a mathematical operation, it actually ends up generating a Python script that performs the mathematical operation. So what that actually shows is that shows these models in combination with other expert systems that could live within your company can be much more powerful, right? So like effectively, let's say, you know, a company wanted to deploy one of these models, but you had a, uh, a proper store of truth, a database with real facts. You shouldn't make the model be a substitute of the database for facts. But what you could do is combine the model with the database of true facts of, hey, the model says, you know, provide some, some text. It asks the database for some piece of information, and it's not allowed to just generate random stuff from that. It's only able to use information from that database. And this is where like the retrieval component is quite important, right? Paired with the retrieval system and potentially fine tuning the model on the private data inside your company, you can get around some of these problems that you brought up of it not knowing about the physical world and stuff like that. So when it comes to the impact of AI in corporations, you know, we talked about the fact that AI can't just be deployed and then let it roam free, someone or or some more people have to make sure that it's roaming in the direction that the company is trying to roam in. Um, and you said that it can't really replace the developers and it shouldn't replace the developers because it's not going to be accurate or factual. Um, what are some of the positive impacts of uh, deploying AI in an enterprise? Yeah, so I think... Basically, I was saying this with, with the whole thing regarding assembly and higher level programming languages. It's clearly now evident that AI is, is not just going to like make people more efficient. I think it will actually make it more feasible for more people within an enterprise to provide value in different spaces. Um, a, a case is actually like a product like ours, like Codium, actually generates and saves people many hours a month of time, right? Uh, and that's just time that they could then do higher level productive thinking, like system designs, all like your senior engineers can spend more time thinking about the things that matter rather than working on writing boilerplate code uh, within the company. And I think the way I see it is it's going to be a massive productivity increase for everyone, for most companies. Uh, but it really comes down to like how you build these applications. But it's undoubtable that these systems are capable of saving companies like many, many hours of time across every person within the company. Um, I think tools like Codium, stuff like Midjourney do show this, that these tools are just going to like add a ton of value and productivity internally. Oh, for sure. And I hope so. Um, do you think that any uh, of the people who are working at enterprises who are either thinking about deploying AI or are already deploying AI have anything to fear or do you have some tips for them as to how they can safeguard their jobs, if that makes sense? I'm, I'm generally of the opinion that these systems aren't smart enough and uh, to, to, uh, to cause like real damage within a company. So they're going to like autonomously do something um, right now. Just, just like Realistically, a, a lot of what people are working on or some of the stuff people are working on are these ideas of agents. So an agent is something that can, you know, kind of interact. It's an interactive sort of system that can run with these models output and then take the output of those models and feed it back in and kind of change the state. The problem is 
along the way, the agent runs the problem of uh, if you let it run for too long, errors that accumulate in the very beginning start becoming larger and larger until finally it starts doing some completely irrelevant task. So my, my sense is that a lot of the agents right now haven't been able to provide real value within companies. So I wouldn't worry. And that's just because that's the state of the models that exist right now. So generally speaking, I wouldn't worry about a company worrying that the model is going to start doing crazy things. Uh, engineers are still going to implement these systems and the systems are going to have guaranteed SLAs. They're going to have uh, you know proper requirements. And I think it's still very possible to engineer these systems to, to not go off the rails. Um, when it comes to safeguarding roles, one of the, I, I know mostly about software. I don't know much about like other spaces in general. I don't know what the impact is going to be on the legal system and uh, stuff like that. Uh, but when I think about software in particular, like just the last 20 years or the last 40 years seems to indicate there isn't a sparsity of software in the world. In other words, there is just more and more software companies that are providing more and more value, right? Every, every 10 years, we're having ever larger IPOs larger and larger companies that are building software systems that can automate different parts of different enterprises. I think actually we're like the, <clears throat> maybe the interesting component here is because there's, there's more software that can be consumed across all these companies. I don't think companies are just going to be like, oh, wow, I can now generate more software. I need fewer people. They're actually just going to be like, oh, wow, I can generate more software. Now I can actually like provide more business value. Right. I think that's like the reality of what's going to happen. So companies, I, I don't think people should be really scared about their jobs in fields like software engineering. It, it, that doesn't really make too much sense to me. Now that we are concluding our conversation somewhat, um, you clearly have a lot of experience um, with AI and software development. Um, can you give us some examples as to how can it be used in different industries or 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 what? kind of software problems AI is best to aid humans with? It's actually really, really interesting. One of the key pieces of large language models is they're kind of generalizable knowledge. So when we build a system, actually, we're not building it for just one particular programming language. We actually build the system or models that we train inside the company are trained across all programming languages, and they perform quite well. Uh, across all programming languages. Actually, a little bit of an interesting fact. Let's say we took a model that was trained on some amount of Python, okay? And then we also took a model that was trained on some amount of C++. And then we took a model that was trained on some amount of the same amount of Python and the same amount of C++. That model will perform better at Python than the model that was trained on only Python. And it will perform better at C++ than the model that was trained only on C++. That's fundamentally because it's able to learn interesting facts about C, because C++ is still a programming language, right? Right. And it's able to learn that here's actually semantics about a programming language and logic work for these programming systems. And here's how it can be applied to, to Python, despite the fact that I was trained in C++. And this is actually an interesting fact about how these models are quite good at generating Rust. And Rust is a, a, a programming language that's getting more and more popular, despite the fact that there's very little public Rust compared to a language like C++. So, but coming back to the problem that you just said, which is like, what kinds of problems does it solve? I don't want to say that these models, actually one of the beautiful things is it's not that they're not good at solving just one kind of like a problem of one language. And that's that's why it's so such a powerful tool. I mean, maybe the analogy here is if you use systems like Midjourney, people don't say, hey, like if I write this sentence, it will never be able to generate art, right? 
as long as the training data has seen some sorts of art and some sort of images, it's able to generate, right? Um, maybe the key thing though to say that is people should walk in with these systems with realistic expectations, right? These systems aren't gonna generate entire PRs of code. And a PR being like, it's, you know, if, you're, if your boss tells you uh, like, fix this, and this and what they're asking you to fix requires a ton of context and some information about some other systems that are entirely separate from the code that you're writing. These systems aren't going to be able to solve those problems. And I think people should just be cognizant of what is what is feasible versus not. But I think the, the reality is these systems are going to get way more powerful with time. Right. With time, they're going to be generating larger and larger chunks of code. And that's going to let engineers think about the higher level things that actually matter. Right. The stuff that they you know, they would rather think about rather than writing, you know, simple functions and unit tests here and there. For sure. For sure. I love I love how you put that. Actually, what you said about learning C++ and learning Python at the same time really made me think about humans, right? So um, if there is someone who is bilingual, usually they're not going to have the, the same amount of words in one language and the same amount of word, words in another language. And they are probably going to be a little bit more limited in either language than someone who only speaks that one particular language. But then at the end, they will be able to express a whole lot of different kinds of things using their bilingual brain um, and using the things that they have learned in another language, right? So it seems to me as... As AI is progressing, it's it's only gonna be able to, you know, be used as a different kind of tool, but still it's not gonna make any sort of human role dispensable. Yeah, I'd I'd, ar I'd argue that. I think the way the AI systems are going to evolve is they're going to start getting more and more context of things that are happening within the company. I think that's like maybe one of the big gaps that we talked about right now, which is like, why can the AI not do a ton? Um, these models have like just some some math here. They have 4,000 or 8,000 tokens of context. What that actually means is it can only take 400 or 800 lines of code, which is a couple files of code right. as context. But within a company, you have tens of thousands of files. But what's going to sort of happen is these models are going to understand more about the systems that they're operating in, but also be able to take in more context, context from where you're writing code, context from your from your confluence systems, where you write Google Docs, context from where you execute code. And from that, they will be able to piece together more and more information. But I think all of that will be in the aid of making making humans more productive. Like in the end, when it comes to intent, right? Let's say I'm writing a piece of code. It's extremely hard for me to for me to guide a model one shot to do the entire operation, right? There's so many trade-offs that an engineer makes in terms of, you know, performing a task that it's always going to be guided for the, what I can see the foreseeable future. But what people should expect is that pieces of the, of the software development lifecycle, larger and larger pieces will be handled by artificial intelligence and generative AI. It almost sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, it almost sounds like that, really AI is like a new programming language almost. You know, like how you mentioned C++ like, and assembly even before that, like we are getting further and further away from the hardware. And now we have these large language models that actually can create code even if we can't code ourselves. 
Exactly. This actually comes back to the idea of probably a couple years from now, what's going to end up happening is there will be a lot of people that were in technical adjacent professions, right? People that would interface with engineering or in some capacity that will have some real impact to also impact the, the software as well. Um, because th th this is all about reducing barriers to entry, right? If someone can express an idea and understand a technical concept, the thing that's barring them from providing value on the software side is not going to be literacy of the underlying programming language. It'll just be like being able to interact with these systems, um, which in and of itself is its own programming paradigm. So there is no need to worry, everyone. We, we talked about a whole host of things, but really it's that for enterprises thinking about developing or deploying AI within um, their own context, they should think about how their data is going to be kept safe and they should they should think about how their data is going to be monitored and they should not expect to lay off a bunch of people because they have deployed AI. And um, they should really think about how AI can solve only little fragments of problems, I think, if I, if I said that correctly, not entire projects by itself. Um, is there anything else that you think is important to point out to our listeners? Yeah, I think I, I mentioned this uh, a little bit before, which is that um, the, the fragments is a, is, a, is a way to maybe say this, like, let's say you are like a manager managing a team that's trying to build a generative AI product. I think it's just good to understand the expectations and sort of understand that these models are going to get better with time, but be cognizant of that and build for today. Like make sure you have a product because, you know, if you're within a company and you build an application and you just tell them, hey, once the models get good, this is a good application. I think most people will be like, why did you spend the time building this then? Right. Why did you go and build this? Um, so instead, build things that are valuable today. Right. And that could be something incremental. That could be something very incremental, which is take an existing pipeline within the company and uh, optimize like a particular piece that generative AI can be very helpful with, but build it with the intention that larger and larger pieces will get solved in the future. But just know that the future is coming, which is a, a key piece, but at the same time, build for today. And, and that's probably the last thing I would say for, for that. We have talked about... Um a bunch of things, and thank you for joining us. Um, if someone is listening to us and wants to get in touch with you or wants to follow your work, where should they do that? Yeah, so I guess for us, we, uh, for me, I have, I have a Twitter account. I think, I think I'm, uh, you know, you can just type my name, Varun Mohan, into Twitter, uh, and then you can you can find me. Uh, the company we have a we have a product, Codium. You can just go codium.com, which is C-O-D-E-I-U-M.com. We have a large Discord as well that has like over 30,000 people and many large enterprises using the product. And if your company would benefit a ton from, you know, AI assisted software development tools, um, I would love to, I would love if you could reach out and, and I'd love to point you to a couple of folks within the company. Thank you very much. Um, and with that said, thank you for your time today. I think our listeners and watchers could learn a lot and um, I hope I will see you again soon. All right. Thanks for having me. Dearest listeners and watchers, today my guest was Varun Mohan, who is CEO and co-founder of Codium. 
and um, a tool called ExaFunction that um, helps developers work with AI and therefore helps enterprises deploy AI within their enterprise. I think this has been a really awesome conversation. If you also think that this has been awesome, please share it with a friend and please rate us up to a five-star review on your favorite podcasting service or on YouTube. I am Karolina Toth and I hope to see you next time. Thanks for staying with us. This was the Level Up Engineering Podcast by Apex Lab. Check them out at apexlab.io. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel, rate our content, and share your thoughts on this episode. See you next time. See you next time.